still record? Still we do still record. I am trying to find a good way to podcast this this particular class. Our new website. Um, I, I'm gonna I'm gonna talk with Kurt today about the possibility of putting it on the about using the church's pod uh, uh, whatever website to host that podcast. We don't have to put it out on the website, but um, what did I do? Okay. We are going to uh, Alright, we're going to get most of the way through chapter 3 If not all the way through chapter 3 today But let's pray oh, Abba, clear my mind of all of that junk And thoughts uh, that mess with my head and, uh, and get me back to your word holy one and I pray that today you would do awesome 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 things and reveal deep things that we need to hear from you in Jesus name Amen. 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 First Corinthians chapter 2 we, we talked through about verse 5 last week um, so we're really going to start with 6 but just as a re- Re, uh, whatever you want to call it. Just to go back, review, that's the word I was looking for. Brief review of what we talked about last week. The Apostle Paul is in Corinth. He is, oh. <laughs> he's in Corinth. He, uh, and he's saying that, you know, I get, when I came to you, I said, you know, I didn't come in here being all wise and, 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 you know, using words of men's wisdom, I came in here with demonstrations of the Spirit's power uh, because I wanted to root you and ground you in uh, your faith in what God can do, not in what man can do. And this, this whole letter, again, is being written to the church in Corinth because they uh, are fighting amongst one another. There's a few problems, but the first one we're going to tackle is division. Um, and the Apostle Paul... That, that division comes from different people latching on to specific teachers of the faith and kind of saying, no, I, I like his view, I like his view, I like his view. I'm, I'm of Paul, I'm of Apollos, I'm of Peter, I'm of Christ. You know, that, that, that whole thing, okay? And Paul's just going like, guys, this makes no sense at all. And that's really, as we continue in chapter 2 and 3, we're still going there. So... Apostle Paul said, that's how we start. We started with demonstrations of the Spirit's power, very elemental principles of Christianity, Christ and Him crucified. That's all I knew when I first came to you. That was my only message. It was the only thing I wanted you to get. Jesus, 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 Jesus. The cross, the cross, the cross, the cross. That's all He wanted them to really latch on to because He didn't want them this to happen. He wanted them to be rooted in the message of the cross and let it define who they are from this point forward. You are a people of the cross. Period. This is the only thing I'm going to teach you. Until you've got this, I'm not going back. Second verse, same as the first. Okay, this is what we're doing. The cross. Okay, get it. Jesus and the cross. It's the only message I want you to hear. And they began and, and they heard it. And they began to manifest 
gifts of the Holy Spirit that began to move in this awesome stuff. Okay? And then Paul left after 18 months, which is what he did. He raises up a, a leader in their midst, fills them up with you know, himself, or he brings with him a leader. This is what he did. Paul's basic, and this is kind of a sidetrack, but it's something you need to know. Paul's missionary idea was this. Number one, I'm going to go to cities. Okay? Paul did not spend time in the country. The reason he didn't spend time in the country is multiple. But the biggest one, biggest reason was, culture starts in the city and moves outward. Okay? If we can salt the city with the gospel, it'll get to the country eventually. It is not true the other way. Okay. It's not true. Exactly. You know, the city looks at the country and says, no, no thanks. Okay? But the the culture of the city always moves outward into the country. That always happens. Still happens to this day. Which is why it's so tragic that Christians are constantly moving out of the city. Okay? One of my favorite preachers, Tim Keller, okay? He's in Manhattan, and he's there on purpose. And he talks about this all the time, about how God calls Christians to cities. Don't leave the city. Stay in the city. I don't want you moving to the suburbs. I want you to stay in town. I want you to stay in the city. Don't go out. We can change the culture of an entire nation if we can change the culture of its chief city. Paul understood this, and so he did it. Tim Keller always takes a cheap shot and says, you know, God cares more about city, the city than he does about the country because God cares more about people than he does about plants. <laughs> there are more people than plants in the city. There are more plants than people in the country. Therefore, God loves the city more than the country. Do you he also says that the other cheap shot is, you know, it isn't a divine suburb coming down out of heaven at the end of time. It's a holy city that descends. It's, it's the new Jerusalem, not the new, you know, whatever the suburb of Jerusalem is. Um, you know, so, so wake up. God is about the city. And I agree with that. Um, I, I also think God calls people to the country, so if you're a country person... I love you, and God loves you, whatever. But Paul was about changing a culture. This was his job. This what he wanted to do, was to change a culture, and he knew that, so he went to cities. Corinth was the second most influential city in Rome at this time. Paul knew that. That's why he was there. Okay? The other thing he would do is he would go to the Jews first, because... That was the pattern Christ gave him to the Jews first and then to the Gentiles. So he would go to the Jews first and he would preach to them and when they inevitably rejected him, which happened everywhere he went, there were sometimes a few Jews that would come to Christ in the midst of that situation. Okay, But most of the time, and most of his converts would happen after he had done his obligatory visit to the Jews. Okay, He would go there, probably be rejected by them, and then he would go to the town square. Now, the town square back then was not like the mall today. Okay? Sometimes we think of it that way. There were regular, it was a regular part of Greek culture for speakers to stand in the public square and speak. It happened all the time in Greek culture. Philosophers, 
teachers, politicians, it just it, it happened. And so it was in that culture, that was a perfect podium for him to use, and he used it. Day by day in the market. And as he, he did. He would get up, and he would preach the gospel of Jesus Christ, and he would display the kingdom with demonstrations of the Spirit's power. Casting out demons, healing the sick, raising up the lame, all the stuff Jesus did, the Apostle Paul was doing it, and, and in some cases, on a more massive scale than Jesus ever did. Jesus never sent his hand, handkerchief to somebody and they were healed, but Paul did that. So Paul was the living embodiment of greater works than these shall you do because he did it on a regular basis. The book of Acts tells us a little bit about that, but then it just kind of sidelines it by saying, great works were done by the Apostle Paul or by the Apostles. You know, and it's like, they were so... When you, when you read that, don't think that they're saying, well, they kind of happened every once in a while. Though. No. What's going on is that signs and wonders were so prevalent in their culture that it wasn't a big deal. They didn't feel like they needed to mention them because they happened every day. It, it was just a part of Christian life. Healing was flowing through the church and power was flowing through the, through the church. And that just happened. Okay, that's just who they were. It was their identity. And we totally lost that. Because when somebody gets healed, we're just going to tell the universe. So-and-so got healed. Woo! I actually saw healing. You know? The apostles would, the apostles would be like, what? And? <laughs> you know, that's great, but the gospel. You know? That twice during lunch. <laughs> exactly. I mean, it's totally normal for them. I looked at that guy. <laughs> you know, I just went like this, and my shadow touched him, and boom. My shadow touched him. Yeah, that's, that's true, though. They used to lay them in the street so that the shadow of the apostles would fall on them and people would get healed. Is that crazy? I had a really cool dream, not last night, but the night before, that we were all at winter retreat. And it was kind of like that, like we're done with dinner and we're about to go into service time on Saturday night, which is usually the big blowout night, okay? And and people are starting to walk into the into the room where the service is. But we haven't really started prayer per se. It's just kind of hangout time. And and we people start noticing that there's this like shimmery like quality to the atmosphere in the room in the street. And I was just talking to kids, and somebody was like, "That's weird." I'm like, "What?" They said, "Well, if you look against the light, it looks like there's like." Glitter floating around. I was like, "Whoa, weird, yeah." And it, and and as as people, more people are coming in, not prayer, not you know, it's not nobody's worshiping, but the it got thicker and thicker and thicker and thicker, to the point where we're and we're all kind of talking about it like this is so weird. And I went like this, like through the air, and I looked at my hand, and I had gold dust all over my hand. This is the, this is a dream. It might happen. Who knows? But it was a dream. And as, as it got thicker, the presence of God began to be really felt in the room. And so we were, it was this really interesting type prayer meeting because it wasn't like, come God, it was like, whoa, God, you're really here. Like, some people were getting on the floor, other people were just like, this is amazing, you know, and, and, and stuff was happening. And I'm just kind of watching this in the dream. And it thicker and thicker and thicker to the point where we couldn't really see each other through the fog very well. And, and I was just worshiping like this. At some point, the musicians decided to get on the stage, and they started playing music, but there weren't any words. And, and I'm just standing there just like this, and then, 
And the Holy Spirit says, look at your hands. And I looked down, and they were full of snowflakes made of gold, which were just, it was weird. And I'm just like, oh, you know. And, and I started, like, throwing them out of my hands because it was weird. And then it, they'd fill up again. Oh my gosh. So, yeah. Yeah. I can't have dreams like that. It was, it was a really cool dream. I'm saying, yes, Lord, we want it. Yeah. That happened at a Jesus Culture concert that we went to. Like, they were talking about it, and, like, they told everyone to look up, and there was, like, gold dust that yeah. was, like, falling. It well, this happened in, it's happened in this church before. Gold dust? Um, yeah. Don't ask me what it means. I have no idea. And it's not in Scripture anywhere that we can really tell anything. They talk about the cloud of glory. Maybe that's what that is. I don't know. Cloud of glory is gold. Um, well, my, my dad tells the story where he was he was sitting in a meeting and he had his Bible open and sitting next to him was this guy who was a Baptist, but God was really like stirring a hunger in this guy's heart for for the, for deeper things of God and for you know and he had been talking to my dad about Pentecostalism and about the infilling of the Holy Spirit, but he wasn't there yet. You know, and he was just kind of, and he's sitting there, and and they're listening to this guy teach. It was at a conference that was here at the, not in this building, in the old building, but at our church during the renewal days, and and this Baptist pastor looks down, and his Bible is covered with gold dust, and he turns to my dad and was like, "What is this?" Dad's like, "I don't know." <laughs> You got me. I don't know Your what dad, it like, is. Takes out a, a gold dust shaker to <laughs> remove his eyes and close. And and so and the guy was like and just dumps it out of his Bible like that and just kept listening. And <laughs> looks back down about five minutes later and there's more in there than there was the first time he looked. And it's like filling in the crack in the Bible and like and 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 that's when he just closed his Bible and lay flat on his face on the floor. Because, like, oh my gosh. That... God's sending gold dust buried in there. I don't know what that is. I really don't. But, okay, whatever God wants to do. And you can go online um, and at, on YouTube and look, look for Our Father, Glory Cloud in the Room. Okay, And you can watch a video from Bethel where uh, they're singing the song, Our Father in Heaven, hallelujah, in your kingdom. You know what I'm talking about? Okay, they're singing that song. Jeremy Riddle is singing it. And then the camera pans to the ceiling, and you can't see anything the first time. But then, and people are like yelling and screaming. And, and then, and like the next time it pans to the ceiling, you see little flashes in the light. And it's like, what? And then eventually it's this swirly... Is this outside like or stuff. inside? This is indoors. There's this like swirly, sparkly cloud that you can see, and it's just and and eventually by the end of that video, it looks like it's snowing gold. In the room. Like, what? I'm serious. Go watch it. And Bill Johnson gets up and says, "I don't even try and explain this kind of thing when it happens. I just enjoy it. All I have to say is, God's in the room, and let's just." Dig into that and not even worry about this thing. Oh my gosh. Okay. So, so yeah, who knows? I'm open for it. Lord, if you want to do that. But what I'm really interested in is the presence of the Holy Spirit. So, um, 
Um, I have one of so my. Do the buddies. janitors have to come with the vacuum? Well, well, I don't know. See, that's, that's my question. I can't question. even imagine being the janitor. That's my question. They're turning the snake. Like the janitor. Oh, you, come on, God. Come on. Like, really? I just cleaned this up, and now. You know, God, bring that dang gold. Do you vacuum it up? Again. I mean, like, it's holy gold dust. Like, God <laughs> dropped it on us. Do I get rid of it? Do people like violet and then know, go try to sell well, it? Well, see, see, one of the one of the things <laughs> that it? we did back in the nineties when that <laughs> happened, because it happened a couple times, was one of my friends like took a piece of, of scotch tape, like a wide piece of scotch tape, and and just like <laughs> this, and got it like covered with gold dust and folded it, and then he put it in his wallet. He said, "I'm taking this. I want." I want to <laughs> God. I can't believe that. I've never heard that in my life. I mean, like, heaven's like, like, why would it be so weird for God to, like. I don't know. Totally. I don't know what. I've never even heard that. That's pretty crazy to me. If that happened to me, I'd be. Okay, right around the same time, there was this whole thing where God was replacing people's teeth with gold. I'm dead serious. (gasps) What? Yes. They would literally. One minute they just have normal teeth, and the next minute they have a gold tooth. This sounds sketchy. I'm serious. This I am dead serious. I met you there. I, my tooth up there. Yeah, I was there. there. I was there. And I was like, I'll take it, Lord. Take that junk out and sell it. But no, it was it was totally like, like just totally replace replace teeth, and, and 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 no explanation. It was just happening. And wow. so, like, that's sketchy. Yeah, I don't know. It's weird. Man. Yeah, another one's kind of sketchy. I, mean, I, had, a, I had a dream. I had a dream several years ago where I went to Toronto, which it was happening most in Toronto at that time with the gold thing. And there were diamonds too that were appearing in places, which is kind of cool. They would just kind of grow on the chair or on the thing. And he's like, whatever. it's weird. I'm serious. I'm not really crowns with beautiful gems in this. Why is this so weird? This exactly. Is that's heaven. heaven. This is earth. But well, yeah. To make heaven but right. our job. So cool. You, but why is it weird? Have you ever seen it? And what is that song about? What is that song about? Let heaven come here. Thine is the kingdom. Yours is the kingdom. Yours is the power. Let heaven come. That's what they're singing in that song in that video. No, I'm not. Let heaven come. And that's what was happening. Heaven was breaking in to that moment. And God was like, welcome. You know, just like an amazing... Yeah, it's totally cool. The the other thing that would happen is people like oil would like start dripping off of people like. Um, that I believe because I get nowhere. pretty oily sometimes. Um, it was, Ew. but it smelled. <laughs> like my face, you know. It smelled really good though. It smelled, a lot of times it would smell like roses in the face. Like, <laughs> yeah. like there were, there's this there was this one lady at during that time, which this doesn't happen to her anymore. And I don't think she goes to church anymore. But during that time, when when the anointing for healing would enter the room. Oil would just start dripping from her hands. She would pray for people and they'd be healed. It was really weird. I, I don't know. I've never, I've never seen about. this stuff. Why do, I want to see this. I do too. Let's see it. Good but I don't care coming. about that. Well, yeah. I want the glory in the room. Okay, we're going to talk about that a little bit today. Okay, so I just thought I would let you know. Let's just be ready for anything. <laughs> because what if God decides to do something completely different? You know, he was doing this whole thing. You know, just that just kind of happens. I don't know. You know, what if what if something else happens? What if what if grapes start growing out of the walls, or 
Or, well, you know, yeah, I the, the, like the iron vine grow the branches, all of a sudden grapes start growing off of your body somehow, and then it's like, would you eat them or not? You know, I mean, you know, what if, all of the, what if all the water bottles get full of wine all of a sudden? See, my you know, issue isn't believing like, that ah! it happened. My issue is, like, believing people when they say it happened. You know what I mean? I was in the room. No, that I believe. Like, you, I know you. But, like, some <laughs> random guy going, God replaced my teeth with gold. Yeah. But, like, I that have a diamond on my teeth. Like, really, me. they stole that diamond. That didn't, happen to me. You know. that didn't happen to me, so I can't speak to the yeah. to the whole to that whole thing. But I was like, I'll take a gold tooth. That'd be so cool. It'd be like a, a natural grill, you know? Like, <laughs> <laughs> it says Jesus on it. I'm like, <laughs> Well, we had a guy. Um, oh my gosh! We had this the leader of the Assembly of God Church in Cuba come and preach our missions convention at one of those years, and he said in Cuba they have almost no dental care at all. And so one of the major miracles that happened in the in the revival was God would fix people's teeth. Like he would I'll replace the their Lord. teeth. Jesus, I accept that. Like teeth that had been pulled or 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 were like needed to be pulled would just grow back into people's heads. Is that oh. cool or what? I'm like, yes, Lord. No, never going to the dentist again. <laughs> I love it. But anyway, so that's kind of the atmosphere that's going on in Corinth. That was cool. There's this crazy outpouring of supernatural power, and Paul wanted that. That's how, where he wanted to begin. Okay, verse six. Among the mature, however, we do impart wisdom. Okay, so he's saying, but that, that's where we begin, but it's not where we end, folks. That's the starting place, but it is not the finish line. And later on in this book, he's going to go more into that thought. That it's great that you're operating in the gifts of the Holy Spirit. I love that about you. But that's not the finish line. That that is that that's awesome. But don't don't be so excited about those things that you miss the greater glory. Okay, there is greater, deeper glory in other realities that God cares way more about than He does about whether or not you have a message in tongues today. Okay, so that we're going to get there with you know in thirteen, twelve, and thirteen, whatever. Um. He says, but, first of all, you need to understand that God's wisdom is not like the wisdom of this age. God's wisdom is different than the wisdom of this age. It's deeper, it's more powerful, and it's better than the wisdom of this age. That You don't want that. This is heavenly and prophetic wisdom. This is holy, secret wisdom that you're not even ready for, which we're going to get there in a minute. But I want to spend some time in 6, 7, and 8. Because in Corinth, they weren't, they weren't ready for it yet, which, which we'll find out in, uh, uh, in, in, in a few verses. But God has a deep wisdom for us as a people. Wisdom like, take up your cross and follow me. If you're going to win, if you're going to gain your life, you have to lose it. Um, you know, the wisdom like uh, what did I write down? Love your enemy and pray for those who persecute you. The world hears that phrase and says that makes no sense whatsoever. 
if you want to be the greatest, you have to be the servant of all. The world listens to that and says, no, you look out for number one. I'm all about me. I'm about my promotion, my thing. I actually saw a t-shirt one time, and it was like a Nike t-shirt. You know how they have those phrases that are like like a burn on somebody, you know? Um, you know, the only games you the only games you're good at are video games. That kind, of, that kind. Of, okay. Now, the only game you got is video game. I think is one. Of, um, there's there's another one that says it, it quotes Jesus. It says the weak, the meek shall inherit the earth, and then underneath it it says, yeah, right. Okay. That's because because the world. Yeah, most people that would buy that shirt have no idea that Jesus said that. <laughs> it doesn't say Jesus of Nazareth on it anymore. Anyway. <laughs> I would not want to make fun of Jesus. <laughs> that ain't a game I want to play. He's going to sit on that throne, man. The meek shall inherit the earth. Yeah, right. Okay? But that's how the world, the world looks at the things that Jesus said. Love your enemy? No. Destroy your enemy. Right? Demolish them. So that stands in my way, I kick it down. That's the world. The world says, I exalt me. Okay? I'm out after me. I'm going to be aggressive. I'm going to go for it. I'm going to, you know, that's the, that's the world. The world says, make yourself king. Make yourself God. Promote yourself. Might makes right. Okay? That's how the world feels. That's how the world operates. The system of this world does not understand the wisdom of God. And in verse 8, well, let's back up just a minute. The nature and glory of the risen Savior militates against the thinking and the presumptions of the spirit of this age. That's a word I like, militates. It means it fights against it, it wars against it. Remember we talked last week about how God's wisdom comes and just kicks culture on its butt, you know? God comes along and says, Oh, yeah, you like wisdom? Well, here's foolishness. Oh, you know, you, the, God, God attacks the culture at its weakest point. At the thing, that it, the thing that the culture values above all else, the thing the culture puts in the place of God, God comes along and shows that thing for the empty thing that it is, for the powerless thing that it is. That's what the Gospel does. The Gospel reveals the idols of our culture for the empty things that they are. Yeah, I was reading in Psalm, I think, 134 last night. Uh, and it says, it says oh, the people who make idols are so foolish. Idols that have a mouth, but they cannot speak. They have eyes, but they cannot see. They have uh, uh, ears, but they cannot hear. And they have no breath in them. And the Holy Spirit said, I want you to take that phrase, and I want you to flip it around, and I want you to, I want you to talk to me about me out of that phrase. So, God, you have a mouth, and you love to speak. God, you have eyes and you see everything. God, you... Um, and what was the third one? I don't remember. You have ears and you love to hear. And not only do you have breath, but you're the source of all life. And just like, I just began to just pray into those things one by one. Just, God, you see me. God, you see me. Every idol I would put in, I would put in, your, in your place might look like it have, has eyes, might look like it's about me, but truthfully it can't see me, it has, it has no understanding of who I am, and it can't, it has, it, it can't see, it has eyes, but it cannot see. 
It has, that, that thing that I would put in your place looks like it has ears, but it can't hear my prayers. But you, oh God, you have an ear. You hear not just my prayers, but you know the meaning of my tears, you know. And just praying into that, into those things that are true about God, that are not true about the idols of our, gener- of our age, of our culture, of our generation. The things, okay, let's talk about one of the primary idols of our culture, fame. Right? If you ask children of this age, okay, in the, in the last generation, if you had asked kids, what do you want to be when you grow up? They would say, I want to be an astronaut, I want to be a fireman, I want to be a doctor, I want to be whatever. But in this generation, their primary answers are, I want to be rich and I want to be famous. That's scary. But we have done this to them. Okay, We've sit them in front of reality television where we take normal people and we put them, you know, we give them their five minutes of fame and we use them up and we throw them away. Right? Have you ever seen a reality TV star after they're not famous anymore? It's one of the most sad things in the world. It's just horrible. Fame is the greatest idol of our culture. Think about fame for just a minute. Okay? Fame. Think about the people. Think about people like Lindsay Lohan. <laughs> Miley Cyrus. What has fame done to them? What's fame done to Justin Bieber? What's fame done to, to Britney Spears? Has it helped them in any way, shape, or form? Do they have lots of cash? Yes. Do they have millions of people? that, like, know who they are? Yes. But do they? But how many of those people actually care about them? Other than the one gay guy on YouTube. <laughs> <laughs> I was alone! Was it Britney Spears? Who was it? Was it was Britney Spears. Oh my god. It was... What happened? That guy. Leave her alone! Okay. If you haven't seen it, you gotta see it. It's hysterical. It's hilarious. It's really funny. It's got a lot of <laughs> about, uh, which one? Uh, I don't know that guy. No, it was just yeah, it was random. Uh, and he was gay. And Britney Britney Spears. He loved Britney Spears, and he was literally weeping on the video, yelling at the press to not say horrible things about her anymore. She's a mother. She's a mother, and she's trying to deal with all of this. You just don't understand. Okay, it was. It's oh horrible. my god! It's so, it's so bad. Anyway, oh gosh, that's like Isn't so that's weird. Like it's like two years time. ago or Isn't something. Isn't he like underneath a blanket? Yes, yeah. he's underneath a blanket. <laughs> that's one of the funniest she parts. He's literally under a blanket. Does she be part of our lesson right now? Like weeping. She's the video of a gay guy crying. Okay. <laughs> but here's the deal. What has it done to them? Has it given them anything really? No, it has stolen everything from them. They don't have the ability to be a normal human being anymore. Jesus. Okay? It's because when you worship an idol, it steals from you. That's all it ever does. And God comes along and loves his favorite thing is to show idols for exactly what they are, and that's what the gospel does in every situation. You want to be great? Go low. You want to be rich? Give everything away. 
That's what the gospel does. It shows the wisdom of this world for the empty, foolish, ridiculous, powerless thing that it is. And Apostle Paul says, when you're ready, I'll teach you true wisdom, but you're not ready yet. In verse 8, this incredible wisdom in verse, in, in verse 8, none of the rulers of this age understood this wisdom. If they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. It is the cross of Jesus Christ that is, it's, it's the thing that is held over all of the cultures of this world that shows, shows every culture, every idol to be as empty as it is. It is the cross of Jesus Christ that shows the emptiness of every idol. There's a verse, I'm sorry, I should have looked it up, but I didn't. There's a verse, I think it's in Proverbs, it says, those that cling to worthless idols forfeit the grace which could be theirs. When we elevate anything to the place of preeminence and put it next to the cross, it just tumbles, it crumbles, it falls apart. When has any other God or any other person or any other thing died for you? Given you the universe when you, when you deserved the fire of hell. The cross turns all the tables over. It offends all of the mindsets. It, it confronts the world over and over and over again and all they can do is get mad or turn and repent. They don't have a choice because it upends every single ideology of man because every ideology of man is based on human beings are really good. And they're not. It's based on the worth of man and the cross expresses the worth of God first and the worth of man second. I love this. All I could think about uh, from this, this picture, uh, I love the cross. Because it's, okay, think about Satan. Okay, think about this. I love this. I love this. Think about this. You've got Satan, the devil, okay? And the spirits of this age, right? And Jesus shows up on the scene and they're nervous. Oh no, the Son of God! One of the members of the Trinity is flesh and he's on the planet. He's in our territory. This is a problem. So what are we going to do? We're going to kill him. And I heard about, this isn't Bible, but it's interesting. I heard about this guy who had, he, he actually, he went to hell, okay, in this, um, in the vision. He went to hell and why does he do this every single time? <laughs> Go away! Go <laughs> away! Like you only show up up here when Josh is teaching now. I'm here every Wednesday, so just be ready. Why do you get to talk to him so much? Yeah, why don't you come hang out? Because he loves me. No one else does. They have to do Alright. What was I saying? Alright, so, so Satan's big plan is to kill Jesus. What does he think he's going to accomplish by that? I still well, he gets him out of the way. He's gone. And we killed God. We killed God. Right? Yeah, you send him down here, I'll show him what's up. <laughs> they killed God. They put him on a cross and they killed him. And can you imagine? 
okay, anyway, this vision, this guy went to hell, and these demons were tormenting him in hell, okay? And one of the things they said was, we were, you should have gotten saved. You should have, you should have taken the blood of the Lamb. We saw him die. We darkened the sky to watch him die. So, you know, the, the Bible says that it, that it grew dark well, uh, at the time of Jesus' death. This demon told this guy that that darkness was all of the demons in hell crowding in the sky to watch Jesus die, which is a fascinating idea, right? Yeah. It's like, whoa! Okay. Because they were celebrating that. Yeah! We know we're killing the Son of God! He's going to die! And you know, any moment they're going, he's going to come off the cross. He's going to be like, angels die! And it didn't happen, right? And they're like, and they're like, oh, we did it! Can you imagine the reveling in hell? Can you imagine the principalities and powers of the air and their celebration? We killed God. We ended the Christ. We ended Jesus' movement on the earth. Okay. Okay. And the hubris and the pride of the human, uh, you know, culture is that we killed God. All I think about every time is the White Witch from the Witch, the Lion Witch in the Wardrobe. Okay. Have you ever seen the movie? The the yeah. scene which just nailed me is when she she kills him and then she stands up and she says, "The great cat is dead," and everybody like freaks out. They're like, "Yeah." You know, they're, all, they're just going. She doesn't know that she just signed her own death warrant. She doesn't even know it, and neither did the forces of darkness at that moment. Jesus had just done the one thing that defeated the forces of darkness for all time, signed their death warrants, said that was going to send them to hell for eternity. Satan thought he was crowning himself, but Jesus was ripping the keys of death, hell, and the grave from his hand in that moment. Jesus showed by the foolishness of his death, he defeated. I love him. <laughs> like, we're going to kill you. And he's like, oh no, don't kill me. <laughs> and they kill him, right? And then he's like, he's like, oh, guess what? You lose. I mean, think about it. You lose. Oh, I love it. I love it. And if you've ever read, I, I would, you've got to read The Lion, Witch, and the Wardrobe if you haven't. It's a quick read. You can read it in 30 minutes. I mean, seriously, it's, it's a quick read. But C.S. Lewis was a genius. And here's something from the book. Here's from the book. Okay? In killing Jesus, they thought they were striking the winning blow. This is me. But in fact, they were defeating themselves. Because with that cross, all the power of heaven was unleashed and the power of sin eternally broken. Here's, here it is. This is Aslan from it. He says, Though the witch knew the deep magic, there is a magic deeper still which she did not know. Her knowledge only goes back to the dawn of time, but if she could have looked a little further back into the stillness and the darkness before time dawned, she would have read there a different incantation. She would have known that when a willing victim who has committed no treachery is killed in a traitor's stead, the table would crack and death itself would start working backward. I love it, okay? Does that give you chills or what, okay? Because it's exactly what happened. Jesus was crucified on the table of the law, okay? He died according to the law. He was crucified according to the law, and when he died, he snapped and broke the power of the law to ever, to ever be brought against you and me again because we died with 
him on that thing. And in that moment, death started working backward. <laughs> the power of sin gets just destroyed, crushed. All of the idols that men had built, the glory of man and Satan's whole re- rebellion against God to the point where he was ready and willing and, de- and desirous to kill God himself, and then he accomplishes it. And in that moment, he, he killed himself. Oh my gosh! It's so amazing. Do you see the foolishness of God? The foolishness of the cross demolishes all of the plans and all of the wisdom and all of the glory of of Satan and sin and mankind all at one time. The cross of Jesus Christ, boom! Alright, you're done. Completely finished. My friends, death is moving backward in your life and in mine, and that's such good. You guys get excited. Yeah. Come on. Yeah. Oh my God. Not run through a wall right now. Go, no. go read <laughs> the language, the wardrobe, because it is so good. I didn't. I read and after that, it. read the uh, the last battle because it's fantastic. And then read Dawn Treader because the scene where Eustace has been turned into a dragon and he goes into the <laughs> pool. Okay. And, and Aslan looks at him, and he says, get yourself clean. And he tries, and he really tries as hard as he can, and it's really painful. But he gets nowhere. He's still a dragon. Okay, he's still a dragon. Nothing has changed. And then Aslan says, you can't do it yourself. I have to do it for you. And then the transformation takes place, and he's given his life back. What an amazing picture. Oh my gosh. Though it doesn't matter how clean you make yourself, you'll never be able to change yourself from the horrible, loathsome sinner that you are. But when Jesus comes along, He changes everything. He changes your very nature. You're not a person or a creature of sin anymore. You are now like God again. Come on. Wow. So many Oh my yeah, God! Yeah. I have not had caffeine this morning. So praise the Lord. This before our morning workouts, not freaking Nike. I'm telling you what. I'm telling you what. Oh, it's so great. I preached a sermon one time, called, and and the, it was a cow is a cow, and you can't you can pretend to be a cow all day long, but you'll never actually be a cow. Okay, you know what I mean by that. You can crawl on your hands and knees and eat grass and move, but nobody's ever going to be able to get milk from you. You're not a cow. Okay? But when, but if Jesus were to come and transform you into a cow, you would be a cow. And the reason I say that is this. You can walk like a Christian, you can act like a Christian, you can do all the Christian stuff, but until the power of God comes upon you and changes your nature, you are not a Christian. Salvation is a miracle. It's something we cannot do ourselves. Only God can do it in us. That's why it requires faith. Alright. Verse 9. We're not done with the fun. Okay? Somebody read verse 9 for me. But as it is written, what no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the heart of man imagined, what God has prepared for those who love him. 
do I need to say anything else? Okay? Paul has just talked about glorious realities beyond anything we can imagine. And then he says, but by the way, nobody's ever seen it. Nobody's ever heard it. Nobody's even imagined what Jesus bought for you. Just throwing that out there. Oh my gosh! We have... It's... A, what? You think this is amazing and glorious, and it is. What you understand of the gospel is incredible. But there is so much more. So much more that is yours. It's already yours. It's already yours. It's not about to be yours. It's not going to be yours. It is yours now. It's been yours since the moment Jesus rose from the dead. It belongs to you. And that is unbelievable. And it's way far beyond anything we can imagine or think or ask. It's beyond anything we've ever seen or heard. No movie has ever been able to depict anything even close to what God is about to do, what God is doing, what is at work in your life. Death is working backward right now in your life. And that goes beyond just waking you up from the dead. Because then life keeps working. What? Life keeps going. Well, what happens? I'm alive already again. Then you're not done. You're not done. And we've talked about the end times in here. Okay? And that's just a tiny little glimpse of what's coming for us. The inheritance that we have that's ours, it's set upon us already. Somebody get up and dance. It's <laughs> okay. Verse 10 through 13. Okay, no eye has seen, no ear has heard. That's very true. But we have been given the gift of the Holy Spirit so that we can gain so that we can see so that we can explore the incredible gift that God has given to us namely, the name of that gift is Himself I've been studying Genesis 1 for the sermon that I'm going to be preaching tonight and this last night in prayer God just smacked me upside the head with this incredible thing Okay, check this out. The first proclamation that God made over human existence is this. You are like me. What an astounding, unbelievable thing. Does that mean we could say, let there be light and it will happen? That doesn't mean we are God. But that His plan and His and His purpose for human beings was that we would be like Him. That is who we are. That's who we are. I, I want you right now to just close your eyes for where you're sitting. Okay. Right now. And I want you to bring up every place of accusation in your heart, I want you to bring up every feeling of insecurity, every place where you have attempted something and found yourself unable, and I want you to speak to those feelings, okay, with this simple phrase, God says, I'm like you. Say that out loud right now. Next time the enemy comes at you with, this is who you are, this is where you're going back to, this is what 
this is who you really are. Nobody knows it but you and me. This is who you really are. And you know it. And we're going to get away from it. You look at him square in the eye and say the first thing God said about me. Before I ever sinned, before I ever did anything wrong, before anything that you would accuse me of ever happened, the first thing God said about me was that I was like him. I, I screwed it up. I, I went, I acted unlike myself, but the cross of Jesus Christ came, obliterated all of my mistakes, and gave me back what was stolen from me by you. I am like you, God. I'm like you. Is that massive or what? And that's part of what the Apostle Paul is talking about. And he's saying one of the rules of the Holy Spirit, guys, is that, is that He is here to give you a guided tour of the Gospel and all of the things that Jesus died to give you. John chapter 16, verse 12 through 15. Somebody find it and read it. John 16. I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. When the Spirit of truth comes, He will guide you into all the truth. For he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. All that the Father has is mine, therefore I said that he will take what is mine and declare it to you. Okay. This is one of the things the Holy Spirit does. It's not the only thing, but one of the things the Holy Spirit does is he takes what belongs to Jesus and gives it to us. It's Jesus' work on the cross that made that gift possible. The Holy Spirit now comes in and gifts those things to us. And, the, and here in, in Corinthians, the Apostle Paul says, the Holy Spirit shows us all of the things... I'm going to find it real quick. These things, this is verse 10, God is revealed to us through the Spirit, for the Spirit searches everything, even the depth of God. For who knows a person's thought except the spirit of that person which is in him? So also, no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. Now we have received, not the Spirit of this world, but the Spirit of God, that we might understand the things freely given to us by God. The Holy Spirit is taking us on the guided tour of the inheritance that Jesus brought for us on the cross. Literally, the inheritance of the Son of God is ours. Now, what does this have to do with what we're talking about? It's really simple. It's really, really simple. What he is saying is, one of those things, one of those inheritances that you've been given is the ability to love one And it's more important than your gifts, and it's more important than anything else. This gift God has given you to love one another. And if you understood that gift, you would understand that it is worth more than gold dust and diamonds coming up out of the you know things. It is worth more than any other manifestation of the Spirit. He has given you the ability to love each other.
takes us into chapter 3. This is what he's talking about. Corinthians, you though, are not ready for that. You're not ready to learn about those things. You know how I know you're not ready? This is how I know you're not ready. You say, I'm a Paul, I'm a Pope, I'm a Christ. It's all of, you're still about one-upping each other. You're still driven by jealousy and, and, and competition and one-upsmanship, and there's no love. So I know you're not there yet. I know you don't know this. That you don't value love above all this other stuff. Because you're still glorifying you and you're not glorifying God and you don't value love. Love is not important enough to you for you to put down all this crap about I'm better than you because I'm the follower of Apollos and you're just Paul's follower. You realize that's where that all comes from. All of this I follow Paul, I follow Apollos. All of that crap, all of that stuff is comes right from the Corinthians' need to exalt themselves over other people. Their complete lack of character. They're still walking in elementary principles. They're still jealous. They're still strong. Maturity is measured by character. Not accomplishment. There were thousands and thousands of Christians in this place. There were people getting saved all the time. A lot of people would look at that and say, what a powerful church. The Apostle Paul is going, you don't get it! Maturity is measured by character. Not by giftedness. You might be the most gifted person on the planet. If you don't have the character to back it up, you are worthless. You have misunderstood the way God's kingdom works. This needs to be the year that you guys learn this. Especially you first year students. Well, I was going to tell you, the pastor that was, I guess the pastor looking at this in Buckley, that was like his work for me today, like after we left, was that um, it's it's not about like what I can do, or like what I'm going to accomplish, but that and I'm looking for maturity in that way, but that's not even what it is. That it's gonna come out in my character, like in my integrity, like in all these things. And so it was that was like my word today was that. So it's like I'm already going down the right path. You know what I mean? So it's like I'm trying to develop in those areas. So it was funny that you just said that. Let God build a man before He builds a ministry. Think about all these big names who have crashed and burned. Okay? Two days before the crash and burn, everybody in the Christian world would have said, that is a successful ministry. Right? Everybody in the Christian world would have pointed at that person and said, that's what it looks like to succeed as a minister of God. But two days after...
We're going to move down a little bit, and I'll come back to verses 5 through 10 in a minute. But I want to go to verse 11. Apostle Paul says, in verse 10, he says, I've laid a foundation like a skillful worker. He says, Verse 10, according to the grace God has given me, like a skilled master or builder, I laid a foundation, and someone else is building on it. Let each one take care how he builds upon it. Okay, verse 11. For no one can lay a foundation other than that which was laid, which is Jesus Christ. We'll go back to that point in a minute. Now, if anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, or straw, each one's work will become manifest, for the day will disclose it. In your Bible, that word day is probably capitalized. Mm -hmm. It's because he is speaking specifically of a day. The day of the Lord. The day of judgment. The day will disclose it because it will be revealed by fire. And the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. If the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved, but only as through fire. All right, let's talk about this. The day. There's a few versions of the day that we need to be aware of. One of them, okay, is just a regular day of strife, okay? Watch what you're building because when difficulty comes, when tests come, who you are, when pressure is applied, what's inside oozes out. Okay? Who you are on the inside will be made known. Whatever you've built, if it stands the test of pressure, difficulty, pain, then it was built correctly. And it was built with quality ingredients. But if a little pressure comes along and that thing falls apart, it's been, then it shows right there you weren't building with the right materials. Does this make sense? He's also talking to a specific thing that is going to happen. It's called the Bema Seat of Christ. Anybody heard of that? The Bema Seat of Jesus Christ. This will take place at the second coming of Jesus when we meet Him in the air. Okay? We will gather on the Sea of Glass. I should have looked it up in Revelation. It's there. We will gather on the sea of glass, which is before the throne of God. And our lives, our, our salvation is not in question. We are, we are in heaven. Yay! <laughs> the work of our lives will be brought to Jesus as an offering. And tested. Imagine you've got Jesus on the throne. Okay? 
and a long line of Christians, one by one, and they have with them the work of their life in their hands. What did you do with what I gave you? The time that I gave you, the relationships that I gave you, the gifts that I gave you, the resources that I gave you, including money and energy, everything I gave you, what did you do with it? You walk up to the throne and Jesus says, please insert it in this fire on my right. White hot flame. We take the work of our lives that we're carrying in our hands and we put it in the flame. All the impurities will be burned out of it. All the places where we work, we're working for our own glory and not for His. All the places where we were operating out of a search for our own esteem and our own worth and anything other than the worth and the glory of Jesus Christ and anything we did that wasn't motivated by love. 1 Corinthians 13. What is the very first three verses of that chapter? If I can speak with the tongues of many angels, but have not love. If I have the gift of prophecy and can discern all mysteries, but have not love. If I give away all my possessions and give up my body to be burned, but have not love. I am nothing. I'm a resounding gong and a clanging cymbal. I'm nothing. Okay? When the work of our life is measured against these two signposts, number one, what did you do with what you were given? And number two, was it about loving me or about loving people? When that gets put in the fire, anything that wasn't about loving people and loving Jesus or any waste of time and energy will just be gone. It'll disappear. It doesn't matter how pretty it is or how big it is or how awesome it is before we put it in the fire, it will go. It'll be gone. Gone. And there will be people that the entire world will say, oh boy, I can't wait to see what comes out of that fire when he steps up to the pulpit. I mean, think about Billy Graham or the Apostle Paul. When he steps up to that fire and puts the work of his life in that fire, what is going to come out? Oh my goodness. The fire gets switched off or whatever. It comes out of the fire. And whatever comes out of the fire, that's what we offer to Jesus. This is what I did with my life. There will be people of renown who will walk up, put their stuff in the fire, and nothing will come out. And before all of the Christian world, and before, worst of all, Jesus himself, they will have nothing to give him to ashes. Can you imagine that moment? And can I just put in to not be behind the Apostle Paul in line? I don't want to be. Imagine the flip side, too. Like, I think of women like my grandmother, but she doesn't 
know what I'm saying? People are going to be like, on a bigger scale. I don't know her name. Right. Who is she? But she puts her life in there, and out comes gold and diamonds, and she has a beautiful (laughs) crown of gold and diamonds to give to Jesus in that moment, to cast at his feet and say, you did this, not me. And he's going to say, yes, I did. But where the crown? On that day, it will be revealed to us and everybody else exactly what we built with. So let me encourage you. Right now, in this setting, it is easy to build on the foundation of Christ. Where you're at right it is. It's easy. You can do small amounts of personal effort and whatever, and you'll get a result. You can put in wood, hay, and stubble and build things. And people will say, what a successful person you are. But you know. And people who are multi-gifted, have it the worst. Because to whom much is given, much is required. Right? Okay? You can say without bragging that I don't have to study to get up and to deliver a sermon that is going to be effective. That's one of the gifts that I've been given. That's not that's not a brag, that's just true. And I've done it. But on that day, when that sermon gets put in the fire, what's going to come out? Was there was I giving gold to that moment? Had I put in the prayer, had I put in the time? Had I put in the effort? How deep was my yes? Was it really motivated by love or was I trying to wow somebody? You understand? The reason that gold and diamonds will come out is because I put something, I put something that I valued into the building. Does this make sense? Okay? Gold is valuable. Diamonds are valuable. Invest valuable things in the work of ministry. Valuable time, valuable energy, valuable character. Character doesn't come quickly or easily. It comes hard and gruelingly. It is a process of dying to yourself and becoming more like Christ, and it is not easy. It is hard. It's hard. But when we invest in the things that Jesus cares about, we will be rewarded for that on the day. When we invest in the things that man cares about and that we care about, we will lose. We will walk away from the fire with nothing to hand him. And the whole world will see that we were pretenders.
you understand how deep is your yes are you doing just enough to get by or are you really pushing for greatness in the kingdom of heaven Spirit, search me and know me and see if there be any wicked way in me. Disarm all the excuses that I've built up in my own heart for giving you less than my best. Giving my relationship with people less than my best. Forgiving ministry less than my less than my best. Lord, expose every motive that comes from a desire to exalt myself. Expose every motive that comes from the fear of man. I repent. I know that there are days, sometimes more than not, that I do just what it takes to get by, and I don't put gold into the things that I do. I keep the gold for something else. I invest in worthless things. Forgive me. Lord, I pray for myself and for my friends in this room that you would take us deep, that you would teach us to invest in character, that you would teach us to desire righteousness. Your word says that if we hunger and thirst for righteousness, we will be filled. Lord, I ask you, teach us to desire righteousness. Not a claim, not fame or something the world would point at and call success, but that we would stand and that we would long to have you say, well done, good and faithful servant. That we would live our lives in the light of the day when we will present our lives to you as a gift back to you because you gave them to us in the first place. 
and that our lives would be marked by surrender and repentance, that our lives would be marked by character, integrity, that our lives would be marked by excellence. wisdom. Your wisdom, not the wisdom of this age. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. I love you guys very much. I'll see you next week. Okay. Well, I wonder about that. Well, I won't see you next week then. You want to come with us? I'd love to. You're an alumni, you can get in free. You can just write in our band. <laughs> Where are you going? Louisiana. Yeah, but I'm not an alumni, really. Hop in the van, man. Hop in the van. Really connected with the whole Masters movement. It's called Masters. Well, they none of them used to be connected. They were all just using the name. <laughs> oh. I love you guys. I'm not coming with you. I'll see you later. Oh, man. Come on. Hop in the van. It would be fun, but. <laughs> oh, yeah. You have kids and stuff. Responsibilities. Stuff. What's that like? Uh, it sucks. But it sucks. <laughs> Oh, the worst, good. best thing in the world. That was a good message. That was convicting.